copyrighted program created by the Rio Grande Oil Company. The family police calling all cars, attention all cars, broadcast 124, regarding a murder in a haberdashery store on South Spring Street. Stand by for the quickness of respect. That's all. Calling all cars goes on the air. A large number of listeners decide to give Rio Grande the crack gasoline a trial. They decide that if it is absolutely used by more police and emergency cars wherever it is sold than any other gasoline, it must have some advantages over ordinary gasoline. Most of those who test Rio Grande crack are satisfied and continue to use it. For government tax figures prove beyond any question that Rio Grande is the fastest growing gasoline market in the West. Last year, Rio Grande Crack's gasoline sales were 140% ahead of the preceding year. This is all the more impressive when you realize that Rio Grande does not operate train stations. They believe in letting the independent dealer make his living and do not compete with it. Therefore, every dealer who sells Rio Grande Crack has voluntarily chosen this gasoline because he sincerely believes that it offers his customers a better value than any other brand. We ask you tonight to drive up to the next Rio Grande dealer and ask for Rio Grande Crack, the gasoline that contains tetraethyl at no extra cost, and learn what we mean by police car performance in your own car. And now it is our pleasure to present Chief James E. Davis of the Los Angeles Police Department. Chief Davis. Good evening, friends. You have heard much criticism of the so-called police complex. This complex that has been charged by misinformed sentimentalists is that the police believe a man is guilty until proven innocent. Nothing is further from the truth. It has been my long experience as a policeman that the contrary is true. The conscientious policeman, and there are few who are not conscientious, adhere strictly to the law. A man is innocent until proven guilty. We would rather prove a man innocent a thousand times rather than to find one innocent man guilty and have him forced to pay penalty for a crime he did not commit. Tonight's dramatic story drives home what I am trying to impress upon you. It is a story of a tough, incorrigible, vicious man who, had he not been disclosed as a heinous killer, after his first and last murder, might have started out on a reign of terror, horrible to contemplate. Tuffy Reed was a gangster, one of our first. But more than that, he was a narcotic user, and despite the fact that he was, in the jargon of the average user, hopped up at the time that he committed the murder, you are shortly to hear about, Tuffy Reed was a potential slayer. Perhaps you recall the hysterical and sentimental efforts made to save him from the gallows. During that hysterical period of misplaced public sympathy, all sight was lost for the vicious crime Tuffy Reed committed in cold blood. Our story opens on a November day several years ago when Detective Lieutenant C.J. Romero of the Los Angeles Police Department runs into a young Mexican native acquaintance known as Marijuana Joe. 
Hello, Joe. Oh, hello, Eddie. Wait a minute. What's your hurry? Oh, I've got to see a foot. Oh, you'll wait. After all, you're talking to run off from an old pal like me that's thrown you in a can six or eight times. He only thinks me five times. Is that all? Seems like more. Been behaving yourself, Joe? Sure. Staying away from those reefers? Oh, sure. Don't look like it to me. What you got in that suitcase you're carrying? I don't know. It belongs to this friend of mine. Anna Katie. I gotta go. Just a minute, Joe. I think I'll take a look at that suitcase. Now, loose and maybe pipe down. Hmm. Good-looking fur coat, Joe. Where'd you get it? I, uh, I found it. Lucky guy to find the fur coat. Where'd you find it, Joe? Okay. In a car park on Hill Street. I don't suppose you took the trouble to take the license number of the car. No. You can have the coat, Eddie. Thanks. And you can have about 30 days. Come on. For several days, police attempt to find the owner of the stolen fur coat, but failed. Then about a week after his arrest, number one of Joe sends to Lieutenant Romero. The officer faces the suspect in his cell. Joe, what's on your mind? Listen, Eddie. My mother, she's sick. She's gonna die, maybe. She sent for me. She wants to see me. That's an old guy, Joe. You don't expect me to fall for it, do you? I swear I tell the truth, Eddie. I swear it. You let me out. You let me see my mother before she die, eh? Not a chance. Oh, but listen, Eddie. I'm not lying. Look, you go with me if you don't believe me. You let her see me, and, and then you bring me back. I'm afraid I can't do anything about it, Joe. Oh, sure you can if you want to. You don't look to me like the kind of guy that would keep a fellow from seeing his old mother before she dies. You won't do that, would you? Well, no, but I, I can't be sure that you're telling the truth. You come with me. You see. Well, I'll see if I can do anything about it. Eddie, if I ever get a chance to do you one good turn, and believe me, you count on me. You're the whitest copper I ever knew. What's on Joe's mind, Eddie? Oh, he claims his old lady's dying and he wants to get out of here. Oh, very original, is it? Well, I know it's an old story, Jim, but I've got a feeling that the kid's telling the truth. He's too upset about it to be putting on an axe. What's he going to do? Turn him loose? Well, after all, nobody's turned the coat. You can't hold him in the can forever without a complaining witness. Yeah, that's right enough. And I'd hate to think that I was the cause of preventing dying mother from seeing a kid before she bumped off. You're getting soft, Eddie. I'm just indulging myself. And maybe it's the Christmas spirit. Detective Romero does bring Joe. Over the New York Detective Romero, now working on a gang of box car thieves out of the Lincoln Heights station, had forgotten all about marijuana Joe's promise. On one January day, the little Mexican walked into the office of Romero and his partner, Detective Lieutenant Lockhouse. Hello, Eddie. Well, hello, Joe. How's this? Okay. You know my partner, Lieutenant Lockhouse, Joe. This is Joe Romero, Tommy. Well, pleased to meet you, Joe. Sometimes known as marijuana, Joe. Well, no more, Eddie. I've been off the reefer since you spring me last year. On the level? You're going straight? Yeah. That's fine. I'm glad to hear it. Going straight and going to Hollywood at the same time, huh? Well, well what do you mean? Oh, I noticed you ain't wearing a hat, just like them Hollywood movie actors. Oh, I lost my hat. It was new brown one. Had my initials in it and everything. Too bad. Why'd you lose it? I don't know. I just lost it. Okay, Joe. How about your mother? Did she... No. She got better. She was real sick, though. But she says she gets well because I come home. I no forget what you did for me that time, Eddie. Oh, that's all right. I'm glad your mother got well. 
she uh, prays for you every night. Of... Yeah. I don't deserve that. In God, I just... Oh, sure, Eddie. Uh, by the way, uh, you remember Coffee Reed? Huh? Oh, yes. Yeah, I think I do. They sent him up to the phone school I owned, didn't they? They sent him that. He ain't there now. No? No. He's in town tougher than ever. Where is he staying? With his aunt, I think. Her name's Edward. He's over on Santee Street near Maine. I'll just make him over there. It would be a good idea. If he's as hard as you say it is, we'll drop over and pay him a visit. Well, uh, I've got to go, Ellie. I'll see you later. Maybe. Okay, Joe. Drop in any time. Now, what the devil was that all about? All oh, this kid used to be on marijuana. I threw him in the can last year when I found a hot fur coat on him, but I couldn't get a complaining witness, so I saw him. Well, now his old lady prays for you, and by kindness you've rehabilitated him. He turned him into a useful citizen. Oh, an informer. What do you mean? What do you suppose he dropped in here to see me for? Did he tell you he was a good boy? Oh, no. He figures he owes me a lot for getting him out of the can, but he doesn't want to be a friend. He dropped in to do me a favor. Which is what? To tell me that Tuffy Reed has escaped from my own and is back in town. Mm-hmm. How much is that information worth? I don't know. But we're going over to Mrs. Edwards' house on Tansy Street and find out. Yeah? Mrs. Edwards? Yeah. You're Clarence Reed's round, aren't you? Yeah. We're police officers, and we dropped in to ask you about Clarence. Clarence. What do you want to know about him? He's not here, he's in the reform school. He's escaped from the reform school, Mrs. Edwards, and we understand that he's staying here with you. I said he wasn't here, didn't I? Well, we'll have to ask you to let us search the place for him. Well, all right. If you'll give me time to get something on, I'll just get him dressed to go to town. Very well. I'll just be a minute. Put on back, honey. This may be a stall to let him maybe get away. Okay. Now will you come in? Thanks. Where's your friend? He went around back. Oh. Don't trust me, is that it? Never can tell, you know. Well, I haven't got anything to hide. Haven't even got a place to hide anything. This is the whole house, just this room and the kitchen out there. Come on in, Tommy. Okay. Take down that kitchen on the way in, will you? Right. Where does this door lead, Mrs. Edwards? To the bathroom. Here, take a look. That is no you want to. I don't know. Nothing in the kitchen, Nothing in the Any No. Nothing here. Have you heard from Clarence recently, Mrs. Edwards? Why, uh, no. I haven't received a letter from him for a month, I guess. I'm awfully sorry to have caused you this trouble, Mrs. Edwards. Oh, that's perfectly all right. I understand. Won't you sit down a moment? Thank you. That trunk is about the best place. As you see, I haven't much furniture here. I'm a poor woman. You haven't any idea of where else Clarence would have gone after the escape, have you, Mrs. Edwards? Why, no, I haven't. That boy, he's such a trial. I'm just sure he'll get himself into some trouble again. So are we. That's what we're looking for. Well, Tommy, we'd better not take up any more of Mrs. Edwards' time. Oh, that's perfectly all right. I'm enjoying your visit. Very much. Well, uh, our is going off and hear that, Mrs. Edwards. We've got to get back to headquarters. I hope you'll let us know if Clarence comes here. I certainly will. Good day, Mrs. Edwards. Good day. <laughs> All right, Clarence, if you come out of the trunk now. Boy, I just told him, huh, Andy? When did I tell the boys about those two kids? What line on the trunk I was hiding in? <laughs> <laughs> 
see that easy means he killed a man in a, in a habit of that sort. He said that he bumped me off too if I tell anybody. That's why he said you about puppy being in town. I was trying to do you a favor. Then get off the hook yourself. Oh, why, you copper for suspicious all the time. He can't afford to be anything else. Listen, there is easy way for me to get out of this. Yeah? What? There was witness at that shooting, wasn't there? Yeah, I think Elfenbein's brother was in the store. Okay. You take me down there and take down pictures of Tuffy and McMullen from your notebook and see what Elfenbein says. Okay, Joe, we'll do that right now. <laughs> You, Mr. Elfenbein? Yes. I'm Lieutenant Lamar from the police department. I've been assigned to the investigation of your brother's murder. Sure. Did you ever see this young man before? Hmm? No, never. Look at him carefully. Are you sure he wasn't one of the two thugs who came in here that night? No, he wasn't. I never saw him before. See, I did. See, but I'll tell you. Mr. Elfenbein, I have a couple of pictures here. Do you recognize these two faces? Yes. Yes. They are the two who came in here. This one got killed. Thank you very much, Mr. Offenbach. You think he was Captain? I think so. He shot my brother in cold blood while he lay unconscious on the floor there. Listen, can you copy? Let me take his life myself. Just as he took time. Well, that would be impossible, Mr. Offenbach. He must be tried before a court of law. Our law says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. From the completely exonerated Mellow One of Joe, Romero learns the address of a friend of Cuppy Lee, where the fugitive is staying. Romero sends the house thoroughly. No trace of Cuppy Lee is found in the house. About to leave, Romero notices a little scratch at the back of the house, and upon investigating this hideaway, discovers a crude set of morphine implements. As Cutter Reed's record shows him to be a narcotic addict, this is sufficient proof of his recent occupancy of the premises. Romero is facing study with this evidence when the youth's father enters the house. Hello, Freddy. Yeah. Yeah, visitors, I see. Yeah, Pop, the boat. You the kid, father? Yeah. I'm looking for Cutter Reed. Where is it? Cutter Reed. Right, I know. He's been saying, yeah? Oh, no, he is. That's what I told him, Pop. But they won't believe me. Look at these things I've got in my hand. This spoon and these other gadgets. Who got it? Yeah, sure, I don't know. You know what they're for? No, it's not. Suppose you don't either, Freddy. It's not me. So who do you think you're kidding? This is a hop outfit and it belongs to Tuffy Reed. I found it in that shack out back. That's where Tuffy's been staying. All right. Well, as a matter of fact, Tuffy did stay out there a couple of nights. But he don't live here. Where is he now? I don't know. How about you, Freddy? Last chance. Where's Tuffy? I don't know. All right. Maybe a few days in the can will help you find out. When you get ready to talk, send for me, and we'll see what I can do about getting out. For three days, Freddie Hawkins and his father are held in communicado in public cell. Then, on a Friday morning, Freddie sends for another word that he's ready to talk. Well, Freddie? Yes, you know, I got a proposition to make it. What is it? Me and the old man and I'll... I'll give you a tip. That's more like it. And if there's a trip up, it means a handful of time for me, Dennis. Don't worry. You put Tuffy Reed on the spot and we'll do the rest. All right. Is it real? Will you let the old man go home? How do I know he won't tip Tuffy off? Yes, yes. He isn't in on this in any way. Anyway, you know, it's in separate terms. I haven't talked to him since he got to. He doesn't know a thing about Tuffy. Okay. 
The old man goes through. Now what to do? I want to meet with cousin tomorrow. He's expecting me to bring him a deck of snow tomorrow afternoon. Where? At the old schoolhouse on the hill over the tunnel. What time? Ten o'clock. Well, let me tell you, brother. You're double crossing and it's going to be plenty tough, Father. This is on the level. You'll see tomorrow. And I'm telling you, you're going to be well healed. That guy is just as tough as his name. He can't stand a fence, and he don't intend to be taken away. Next afternoon, Sunday at 3 o'clock, the police car, containing Romero, Hawkins, Captain, Captain Sang, and other detectives, cruises slowly by the school building. When they are half a block past the building, Romero turns to Hawkins, who has remained slumped down in the back seat, almost out of sight. Oh, sorry, I thought you said he'd be here. He is there. That was him sitting on that retaining wall. Just this kind of old pole. Well, why didn't you say so? Because I'm not ready to die yet. I don't want him to see me. Come out of this car. You guys can go get caught up if you want it, but I want to get out. I tell what you want me to. I'll put the finger on. All right, Sergeant. Pull around this next corner and stop. Okay. Wait, you get out here and keep study something. Yes, sir. Come on, buddy. Okay, Sergeant. Turn around and go by the school building again. Yes, Get out of here, that man. Slow down. You are being taken from me. All right, baby. Hop out from the sergeant. Slow down. Get ready. Pick him up, Jeffrey. Why, you... Don't reach for no gun or I'll let you have him. It's like you got there. You didn't give me a chance. It's quite a thing you coming out of school you for a leg. Yeah, that's what I figured. What's the charge? Murder. Murder? Now, what are you talking about? You heard me murder. The murder is Sam Elfenbach. I never heard of him. I don't know nothing about no murder. You see about that. Oh, good afternoon, Lieutenant. Mr. Elfenbein, here's another young fellow I'd like to well, see. that's him. He's the one that murdered my brother. You got me all wrong. My name's James Thomas. I've never been in this place before. Coffee Reed, positively identified by the witnesses, took on a charge of murder. Questioned for days, he suddenly denies his guilt, denies knowing Red McMullen, his partner in crime. Red McMullen's acquaintances are brought in and questioned. His hangouts are carefully watched, but weeks go by and nothing is heard or seen of him. On March 1st, convinced that their party has escaped Los Angeles, Police send his picture, things of print, and description to every chief officer in the West, requesting a careful lookout for the young child. But two months later, when Tuffy Reed goes to trial, no word has yet been received of Red McMullen. On the third day of the trial, Tuffy Reed takes the stand in his own defense. I was very sick on the day of the murder. I took all the morphine I had before noon. In the afternoon, I got sick again. I got hold of three grains of cocaine. I don't know what happened after that. I remember going into a store someplace downtown because the fellow told me I could get some junk in there. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I ask you, do not be swayed by this attempt to enlist your sympathy. Even if this probably ridiculous testimony of intended were a true account of his activities on the day he committed his murder, I cannot believe that 12 intelligent men and women, as I know you are, could feel sympathy for this social mystic whose record we have played before you during this trial. Consider the fact that during the past four years, 
This boy of scarcely 14 years has been arrested seven times for crimes including assault, burglary, grand larceny, robbery, and violation of the Narcotic Act. He was a fugitive from the reform school at the time he committed the murder for which we're now trying him. Whether he was or was not under the influence of narcotics at the time he shot and killed Sam Nelson the fact remains that he did commit this murder. But he's a hopeless incorrigible by the law of the state of California and the consciences of our own hearts. He should be made to pay for his crime and force. <laughs> After 15 hours of deliberation, the jury brings in a verdict of guilty in the first degree with no recommendation for clemency. And the judge puts the sentences trouble the to die on the gallows. But other powerful forces, swayed by sympathy for the useful killer, rally to his rescue, and for the next two years, a bitter fight is waged to save him from the moon. A year to the day after Chuckie Reed's arrest, word comes from Chief James C. Drew of Oakland, California, that Greg McMullen is being held in the Bay City for Los Angeles. Lieutenant Romero promptly leaves for the north to take charge of the prisoner. Next day, as captive and captor, sit in the drawing room on the Sunset Limited, Greg McMullen shows a willingness to talk. Well, it was this way, Lieutenant. Chuckie and I was walking around Spring Street looking at a store window. And we got to just have a dancing store, talking to. Let's go in and pick up the joints. And I said, okay. Then he went in. Everything went along fine until that guy grabbed Tuffy's arm. Then Tuffy swung on him and he went down out like a light. Tuffy leveled his gun at him and let him have it. He knows it like Yeah, with a gap in his hand. And the scram, didn't he? Yeah, we took it in the land. He went one way, I went another. Oh, we met again an hour later. Uh, let me tell you something. If Tuffy Reed had kept his mouth shut, he'd be walking the streets today and told it out. You know what that boy did? He warned me, bumped me off. I was old enough, and I promised I wouldn't. And 15 minutes later, we went into a young Mexican punk called Marilyn Joe. Have you heard him? Seems like I have. Well, this Mexican was beefing about his house. He and Tuffy made it from him a couple of weeks before. And what is Tuffy telling him? He lost it an hour ago in a store on Spring Street where he bumped the guy off. He just tied that. I knew that punk would talk. The police might use a pistol the next day. Well, you can't blame him for trying to save his own life. I don't. I blame Tuffy. Uh, look at this guy on him. I didn't bump off open time. I wouldn't kill no man no matter what the circumstances. I guess according to the law, I'm just guilty of trust. Just about that. You've only got one thing in your favor. What's that? You've confessed. You won't sing for this job, and Tuffy will. Red McMullen, although he was found guilty of first-degree murder, was sentenced to San Quentin Penitentiary for life. While Tuffy Reed, in spite of the attempts to save him, was hanged in the courtyard of State Prison on April 24, 1925, to the grim satisfaction of the murdered man's brother and the relief of thousands of citizens that there was one less public enemy. Thank you, Chief Davis. Ladies and gentlemen, these broadcasts prove that it does not pay to violate the law. But there is another law, a law which most motorists violate every day, and they pay dearly for each violation. Have you heard of the Sinclair Law of Lubrication? Automotive experts agree that the Sinclair Oil Company has discovered a law which is a solution to automotive problems. Every motorist who lives up to the Sinclair Law of Lubrication will reduce his motoring costs per mile and will avoid needless repair bills. Every real grand crack gasoline dealer is an authority 
on the Sinclair Law of Lubrication. And by quickly checking the degree of wear on your car, he can tell you exactly what grade of motor oil will make it operate most efficiently. He has an up-to-the-minute reference manual, giving latest manufacturer's recommendations on exactly what oil or lubricant to use on every part of your car according to the number of miles you have driven. Now, for the first time, you can get a truly scientific lubrication test. The recommendations of your real grand dealer are bad by the highest authority, the Sinclair Law of Lubrication. It costs you no more to get scientific Sinclair Lubrication. So when you drive in tomorrow to fill up the real grand cracked gasoline, ask your dealer about the Sinclair Law of Lubrication and how it can cut the cost of operating your car. Attention all cars, cancellation broadcast 124. Regarding a murder on Spring Street. The special states are now in custody. That's all. Rosie. Good night for the Rio Grande Oil Company.